Je ne suis pas un virus, baby. <laughs> oh, the French, you know. Almost everything sounds romantic. Even if you're talking about a virus, it sounds romantic. It's a great language. But je ne suis pas un rock star. <laughs> je ne suis pas un virus. Now, I just saw a, uh, a picture of a Chinese guy um, holding up a sign in front of his face um, saying that he's not a virus, you know. Uh, I would agree with that, you know. There are some, uh, there are some people who, you know, who might say uh, to him, um, it's not actually about you, it's not actually, this is not actually about you. Um, uh, they might actually say, um, you, well, no, you, I do agree, you probably haven't uh, caught coronavirus, you know. Uh, Chinese-looking guy in Australia, you know, and that's absolutely true. The chances are very low, minuscule, actually. Uh, uh, you know, they might say, listen, uh, Chinese guy, you have caught one disease, though. <laughs> You've caught that disease that we Australians have these days and most people in the Western world have these days, and it's all about oneself. <laughs> Get off. <laughs> Get off social media and stop putting signs in front of your face. You know, that's what most people would say. Or some people would say. Uh, but me? No. You know, I'm, I stand with you, you know, uh, Mr. Chinese guy. I work in Box Hill. And it's long been my habit uh, to... Uh, well, head down to Box Hill Central uh, for a bite to eat or a coffee. Uh, and often I catch the train there and the train arrives at Box Hill Central anyway. And um, I'm very familiar with the whole of Box Hill Central. Uh, and ordinarily, uh, the restaurants are, f are full. Uh, oh, if you don't know Box Hill, it's a... I work in a Chinese area. It's 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 little China really, uh, and it's um, it's it's becoming big China. Uh, there's um, some I'm sure they're forty or fifty stories high, um, towers going up. It's becoming a city in its own right. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, avoid me. I think I've got coronavirus, but uh, I didn't set that joke up. Actually, that was a real little cough um now ordinarily box hill is you know crowded uh, mostly with chinese people as you would expect you know and i, I kind of like it um and uh and, you know i've got people i know you know in the coffee shops that are look there's a japanese place um there actually where i i like to grab something to eat but you know that aside um but at the moment, uh, Chinese people especially are rendering the place deserted. Yeah, because normally it's, it's mostly Chinese people in the restaurants and so on, uh, normally. But, you know, they're leaving the place empty. Uh, the restaurants are empty. People are going broke. Chinese people are going broke. Uh, because they're Chinese restaurants, most of them. Yeah, and Chinese travel agents. Uh, I, I, I went past the tra Chinese travel agents the other day and you know, long rows of sort of desks, computers, you know, stations, uh, and just a couple or three people in each uh, staff uh, with the masks on, 
and uh, no customers, they're just sitting there. Um, so, yeah, that's the feel of Box Hill at the moment. But when, when I haven't changed my habits at all, though, you know, I'm not going to you know, not buy you know, uh, something um, from a Chinese shop just because it's Chinese. You know, I'm, I'm interacting with Box Hill Central like I already always did. You know, um, you know I'm not holding my breath as I um, walk through Box Hill Central, uh, you know, for fear of catching coronavirus, um, you know, if there's a Chinese, Chinese person coming towards me, um, I, 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 you know, just to make sure that I feel that I'm a good person. See, the, the trouble is the Chinese people have put bad thoughts into my head. They've put thoughts in my head that I should be... Um, altering my behaviours, modifying my behaviours because of coronavirus, and more specifically, that I should be modifying my behaviour in a Chinese area more than I should be modifying my behaviour in, you know, where I live, in Essendon, you know, which has got next to no Chinese people, you know. Um, uh, And uh, Chinese people have put that thought into my mind. Look, I think I've... um, Look, it's it's a thought that will jump into your mind. You know, if you've got a brain, you know, oh, you know, uh, this is a Chinese area. Coronavirus is um, pretty big in is very big in China, more than the rest of the world just at the moment. It might end up big everywhere, and then we'll have to hold our breath no matter where we are. You know, um, you know, this is the thought that jumps in, jumps into your head. Um, but you know, I've socially reconstructed myself, and I won't play that game. You know. Um, I uh, will. I make sure when I'm walking through Box Hill, for example, and a Chinese person is coming right for me. Yeah. Um, I think to myself now, if I was in Essendon right now, and and that was a skippy, um, yeah, what would my behaviour be? You know, and I would say, well, I'd just smile, nod, um, and walk right past the person, and you know, I wouldn't think about my breathing, for example. You know, whether I should hold my breath. Um, and unfortunately, that thought is in my head. You know, the Chinese people put a racist thought in my head. Uh, and um, that, you know, I should hold my breath. Because they're all holding their breaths, essentially and effectively, you know. Um, by not even coming into Box Hill Central and sending their mates broke. I feel sorry for the restaurant people, I really do. Now, um, so, you know... What I do, I concentrate. You know, Chinese person is coming towards me. You know, I, I try and regulate my breathing. Um, and I, um, I carefully breathe in and out and in and out as the person walks past me and I smile and I do all that stuff. And I make sure that um, my breathing stays regular such that if that person did have a coronavirus, I make sure that that coronavirus will, you know, will come into my lungs um, with one of my breaths in, you know. And I definitely uh, would, wouldn't, for example, uh, if, a, if a, a Chinese person was coming towards me, as distinct from a Euro kind of looking person, you know, I am, now unfortunately, the Chinese people themselves have re- forced me to think racial profiling and um, I am conscious that I'm breathing in the right way 
and um, I'm feeling a little bit racist as I do that, you know, because I'm saying, oh, you're a Chinese person. The last person who was Euro that walked past me, I didn't modify my breathing. So as you're coming towards me, Chinese person, you know, oh, why did you do this to me, you know? I've, I've even noticed you're Chinese now, you know, because I work with a Chinese lady and I absolutely forget she's Chinese because I know her so well, you know. Um, but, you know... Uh, the Chinese people, by the very act of deserting Box Hill, have put this into my head, you know, that um, I've, got to, I've got to actually consciously think that you're Chinese. You know, I'm very angry at the Chinese for doing that to me. But anyway, um, but to compensate for that, what I'm actually doing now, you know, just to sort of almost like penance, you know, a sort of personal little penance, what I do is um, as a Chinese person comes in, uh, in near me, I breathe out before they start approaching me. And what I'm doing is I'm breathing in deeply to make sure I get as much air in as they're passing me, um, just to send them that signal that I stand with them. And and that's the sort of wonderful person I am.
Some sort of you know, modern day Beethoven's Ninth, did you? You know, when John, with John Lennon and Yoko Ono making beautiful songs of um, how we can all love each other better. <laughs> Actually, I'll find, hang on, I'll waste your time. Uh, I'm playing you some songs because I don't want you to listen to the, um, the rest of this episode. Here's another one off. Hey, that's not How Do You Sleep. Is that someone else singing How Do You Sleep? Sam Smith does How Do You Sleep? Hang on, let's just have a quick listen to that. I've never heard of that before. Maybe he does, it's a cover. Of John Lennon's. Yeah, I don't want you to listen to um, the album. No, sorry, the album. The episode I've recorded. And he's just standing there in a studio by the look of it. Pretty boring so far. So I'll just play some music, you know, and that will hopefully drive you away so you don't end up listening to the rest of the album. I'm done hating myself for feeling. I'm done hating myself for feeling. I'm done crying myself away. Gotta leave and stop the healing. The way you move like that. I just wanna yep. stay. I hate it. Little songs about. Here we go. I hate all those ones, you know. Ah, you're making me feel like I'm, I'm feeling so sad. Every once in a while, an ad something comes along so masterful. That means this one must on. be better. Okay, let's skip the so inspiring. She wouldn't put an ad on unless it was a good song. Here it is. Imagine. Beautiful album. This one's for Paul. One for you, Paul. So
ladies and gentlemen, was How Do You Sleep from the Imagine album. I hope you enjoyed it. It's a beautiful little song, you know. Uh, Paul got uh, his revenge on John uh, with uh, by being nice. <laughs> actually, he, he um, actually, I think it was a little bit heartfelt. As heartfelt as Paul gets, but he, he wrote a song. Um, let me roll it you know, as a reply, a response to that song. You know, How do you sleep? Um, and on another occasion, John Lennon criticised Paul McCartney for you know writing silly love songs all the time. You know, it was driving John Lennon nuts. You know, after the Beatles split up, Paul McCartney kept writing silly love songs. And how did Paul McCartney get him back? Um, well, he wrote a song called Silly Love Songs, and it was a chart topper. It's enough to drive John nuts. It was terrible. Okay, um, my bet is I've lost you, you know. If, if I had any listeners at the start of this episode, you're gone now, aren't you? you know, who'd, who'd be bothered listening to all of that, especially me mumbling along um, to a song, you know? I reckon you're all gone, you know, so... I think that gives me a chance now to tell the truth. (laughs) On with the episode. Proper. In this episode, I'm going to play a game that John Lennon used to play. Except he wasn't playing a game. And this was a game of complete honesty um, you, know, you remember all that with John Lennon you know like um he looked around him one day and said um, I think we're bigger than Jesus you know um, and he wasn't really saying that's good or bad or anything like that he was just <laughs> observing it noting it you know for the record you know, he, he, almost, he was curious how about that we're bigger than Jesus now now he may have been bigger than Jesus, you know, at the height of the power of the Beatles. Actually, I think they're even bigger now, the Beatles, in 2021 than they were back in 1966 or whenever he said that. But he looked around him and he said, I think we're bigger than Jesus, you know. Now, yeah, like in Europe and England, that's okay. You, know, you can say things like that. But in the American Midwest... <laughs> They all went nuts, you know. Um, burnt Beatles records, you know. Had big pyres, yeah, onto which they were throwing Beatles stuff. My God, they would have thrown John Lennon on there too if they could have. It actually had a really it had a, had a, a negative impact on their popularity, you know. John Lennon just saying that, you know, should he have said that? Wow, you know, it was John Lennon's um, personality. To, you know, if he saw something, he's, he's, he, he voiced it, you know, and he might have been right, you know. So, look, he said it, he put it out there, and he said, I, this is what I think, you know, you make of it what you will, you know. Uh, there, were, there were other, plenty of, plenty of other um, times like that with John Lennon. Um, you know, he looked around him and he saw that, um, that women were the slaves of the world, you know, uh, yeah, this is before, yeah, well, probably are women still, you know, well, not so much now as they used to be back in his time, but still, you know, whatever, but, and he said, you know what, 
women are slaves even amongst the slaves you know so he said women are the slaves to the slaves you know but the way he put that was and he said this is the best way i can put it you know and you never know whether yeah you know, you know, i always imagined him and yoko having a chat you know and and discussing these things over dinner and and then coming up with a song you know like i think she came up with imagine you know imagine this and imagine that you know and he came up with a song about that you know so yoko was the um inspiration for that you know apparently you know um uh, do you know when john lennon was happiest um was when the b-52s came out because i actually like a lot of I, i like yoko ono you know, I like her as a person, and I like her music, believe it or not. Uh, I'm in the minority. Um, but uh, the B-52s list, and it's quite obvious too, Yoko Ono as their major influence. Remember the B-52s? Um, and um, the B-52s burst onto the scene, and they were singing Yoko-esque songs. You know, and, and it was her style. And, um, and John Lennon was rapt. He said, this proves it. You know, my wife's... Yeah, the world is finally uh, catching up to my avant-garde wife. You know, um, he recognised what she was up to. A lot of people didn't. Look, a lot of people just wanted yesterday. Yeah. Anyway, um, so John Lennon was very honest, and the way he put that was in his song. Well, woman is the nigger of the world. Yeah. I can get that. <coughs> um. And, you know, to this day, that song is huge. And yet you're not allowed to say nigger. And yet he's saying nigger. And, and no one's calling for that song to be banned, even today, as far as I know. Um, I think there might have been some calls to ban it back then, but didn't take, didn't catch on because, you know what, humans are smart enough to realise that he wasn't using it as a slur. In fact, he was using it as, you know, he was saying it as someone who's on the side of, you know, African-Americans, for example, you know, like, that wasn't the point he was making. He wasn't using it as a slur. A lot of people will just call it a slur anyway. Um, But, you know, I think the song has survived simply because people do have brains, you know, and and, um, he was being pro-women and using the plight of African-Americans, for example, to illustrate the plight of women, you know. Like, because you you can have, you know, you actually could have, and you still can, um, uh, slaves, you know, back then you could, not back then, but, well, there were slaves, were there still slaves then, 1970s? I think the last um, country to dump their slaves was about 1980, so, all right, was that um, somewhere in the Middle East? Um, So, um, you could imagine slaves marching down the streets of Oman or wherever it was, you know, they still had slaves in the time of John Lennon, um, and the slaves marching down the street and says, free the people, free the people, you know, but then going home and treating their women like slaves, their women, you know, they own them, you know, you can imagine that, and John Lennon was saying, hey, <laughs> double standards here, you know, women, woman, he said, is the nigger of the world, you know, and he was noting that, you know, all the way from you know, palaces down to peasants, you know, um, presidents down to slaves, you know, he was noticing this, you know, so he's, but the way he put it, you know, it's attention grabbing at least, isn't it, nigger? Look, he had the thought, so he put it out there. Should he have put it out there like that? Should he have gone for a softer lyric, you know, um, uh, um, 
a, a more politically correct lyric, you know, probably. Uh, but he made his point, and it's still a huge song to this day, and it's not banned. And if it's not banned right now, why not? And if you think it should be banned, why aren't you out there protesting? You know, lodge a complaint with Spotify or something. You're not doing that? If you're not doing that, why not? Do it now, you know. All right, but John Lennon, you know, look, he, he said many controversial things. You know, that was very a slur against Christians, that first thing he said. It was a slur against African-Americans, that other thing he said, you know, compared, you know, you know according to you, possibly, depending on who you are listening. Yeah, I've got no listeners, so it doesn't matter. Now, um, what else did he, he said lots of things like that. Um, dun, 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 dun. Woman is the nigger of the world. Um, we are bigger than Jesus. Um, oh, look, there was that album. Sorry, I got interrupted there. That happens in my podcast, as you know, if you listen to it. Now, I get interrupted because I'm speaking my podcast into the same phone into which I collect calls. All right, now, so I oh, guess I was about to mention. Um, Yes, this this straight honesty of John Lennon's, you know, which is always a bad policy, you know, honesty, by you know, by and large. And yet he seems to have got away with it because when he got shot, which is a huge deal for me, you know, I was seventeen, um, and when he got shot, you know, I kept a scrapbook of every single newspaper article at the time. There was no internet then, of course, um, and I kept a scrapbook, you know, which would be which is a little bit like, you know. These days, people posting, I suppose, you know, posting little articles on their social media or something like that. But we used to keep scrapbooks back then. That's how we did it. And we did it only for ourselves, you know. We didn't do it to um, ex- express what we were thinking to the world, you know. But anyway, uh, John Lennon died and he, you know, the whole world uh, from, on all continents were, you know, missed him very terribly, you know. I think they missed his honesty as much as anything. Um, you know, it was their memories that were dying as well and all that sort of stuff at the same time. That bastard, you know, he's a psychopath, that guy. He's a selfish bastard, you know. Um, I'm not even going to mention his name. I know his name. You know, who shot him? Selfish. Um, okay. Um, you know, John, he had a five-year-old kid, you know, and that kid grew up without a father, and that's pretty bad, you know. Okay, uh, did it make you feel like God, did it? You know, killing John Lennon? Yeah. Um, okay, oh yeah, there was an album and, oh my God, I didn't even buy that one. <laughs> Him and Yoko, stark naked. You know, totally front on, totally unsen- unsentimental, unsexy, un-everything, just, this is us, you know. Um, we want to, you know, we just felt like that we should show you the real us and this is the real us. <laughs> Most of the world said, just put your, you know, put your Sergeant Pepper uniform back on, would you, John? But anyway, you know, well, you know. And, and strangely, it wasn't that confronting, you know, because they were just standing there. They weren't trying to, you know, Yoko wasn't trying to pose in any sexy way, you know. It was what you'd call an unselfie, an unselfie, you know. Turns out I'd... I've ended up talking about John Lennon a little bit more than I was planning to. Uh, so by the time I get around to talking about what I was going to talk about, there's going to be a very short bit at the end, you know. Um, but, you know, uh, okay. So, yeah, and it is funny. You can, you know, 
you can pose stark naked. Uh, there's different ways of doing it. And you can do it in such a way that's not um, even rude, really. And actually, I think he achieved it. And what he was, uh, that which he was you know, trying to achieve. Um, you just want to say, hey, this is us. You know, I, I probably didn't even airbrush themselves. <laughs> in fact, I'm sure they didn't. Um, and, um, you know, and I, I don't think they took any real special care with their hair or anything like that. It was an unselfie. It was actually quite refreshing. I still didn't buy the album, though. I don't want that in my rack. <laughs> you know, you're flicking through. Oh, Everly Brothers, that's nice. Ah, oh, Buddy Holly. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's nothing like Buddy Holly. <laughs> John Lennon, you know. But he died loved. You know, will I die loved? Well, maybe, maybe not. You know, not by many. Now, um, so what was my little John Lennon moment? Well, what I've been doing is something racist lately. You know, racist like woman is the nigger of the world. Is a racist song. Is a racist song, you know. Um, uh, might even put that on at the end of this um, episode. Actually, and what I've been doing, I work in Box Hill, which is China. Uh, these days, you know, it's little China. It's, um, it's more than just a Chinatown. It's actually a whole area that is um, Chinese, you know. And I work in the middle of it. And, um, and at the height of the coronavirus, which is where we are right now, um, as I've been walking, you know, when I have... Firstly, I avoid going down into the main street. I work in the hospital, but I, I, I've been avoiding going down into the main, you know, the centre, you know, Centro, um, Box Hill Central. I've been avoiding going there because, you know, you don't want to catch coronavirus. Right there is the racism, isn't it? Um, but I've been doing something even more racist than that. Now, it may be racist, maybe not. I'm actually not even, you know, um, you know my decision to try and avoid Box Hill Central, you, you know, it's just a personal decision. I may be being racist and I may not be. Um, it doesn't even come into it. You know, I'm just trying to avoid coronavirus because I've got kids and I've got, you know, all that sort of stuff. I, well, I've got, I've got bigger reasons for trying to avoid things like flus and viruses, you know, that I'm not going to describe here. I've got huge reasons to avoid that sort of stuff. But the point is, you might be thinking I'm racist and you might be thinking, how ridiculous, you know, it's not racist. You can think either of those things. I don't really care. I don't care whether, and this is a funny thing, you know, when you're being a bit of a John Lennon, you don't really care whether people think you're racist or not. You're just saying, hey, this is, this is what I'm doing with you, you know, and by all means, you know, call me racist, um, or by all means saying, oh, how ridiculous, that's not racist, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not supportive or unsupportive of either of you, you know, you two people, you know, the one who thinks I'm a racist and the one who thinks I'm not, you know. Um, but I will, I, well, I will note that Chinese people are, are, are keeping clear of Box Hill Central too. Luckily, it's actually pretty empty of people, Box Hill Central at the moment. You know, as I do walk down there, and I had to go to the bank recently, um, I look in all the restaurants, they're almost empty, almost empty. And, you, you know, you might instinctively say, oh, that's because, you know, that's racist that they're empty. Go back in there, you know. He says, no, 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 normally, normally, on a normal day in Box Hill, they're full of Chinese people. There's Chinese people avoiding them. So, you know, um, avoiding these restaurants. So if Chinese people are avoiding those restaurants, you know, and a couple of Anglos are, let's say, um, how can um, 
how can the motivations of the Anglo's be different than the uh, uh, the motivations of the Chinese people who are avoiding those restaurants? You know, look, I don't actually care about that debate. I'm not. I'm not talking about that. But one thing I've been doing, and this is, you know, this is most definitely racial profiling. And I think that in the back of my mind, no, in the forefront of my mind, I'm thinking, look, there's a lot of Chinese people in Box Hill and, you know, when coronavirus hit, you know, there is a greater chance that those guys have been backwards and forwards to China in the last couple of days or are in close contact with family members, whoever, who have been... Um, backwards and forwards to China lately, you know, because in Australia we're close to China and, you know, there's a constant traffic. So there'd be, you know, a thousand people in the Box Hill area who had been into China recently. Now, if you ran across an Anglo, there was a chance that that person's been to China, of course, but, you know, an infinitesimally small chance compared to the chance that, you know, the next Chinese guy has been... to China or in, or has been in contact with someone who's been to China lately. Okay, so, you know, it might be racist to play the odds, but I'll say, you know what, if I was going to, you know, there's two blokes on the street and I had to give one of them a kiss. <laughs> one's Chinese and one's, you know, um, you know Daryl, <laughs> the freckled, ugly Aussie. <laughs> Even if the Chinese bloke was much better looking, I might, I might give Daryl a pash. And that's racist, you know. And maybe it's... Oh, it's not as ridiculous. You know? Of course it's not racist. Well, yes, it is, you know. Now, the point is I'm not getting into that fight. You two guys fight, you know. I'm not I'm just telling you what I'm thinking, you know. You fight. You know, I'll be like an Irishman. I'll sit back and I'll say, you know, inflammatory things and I'll watch everyone else fight about it and just quietly sip on my Guinness, you know, and just watch for my amusement, you know, because I'm not here, you know, trying to prove I'm racist or not racist, you know. Um... I'm detached. I'm very zen, you know. Um, so you'd have to listen to my entire podcast to realise that. No, you're not. Yes, you are. You don't even meditate. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, so, um, so you don't even pray, you heathen. Well, that's true too, you know. Um, well, now let me think. Um, you don't believe in Jesus, do you? Well, I think the Beatles were bigger. <laughs> so you can get in, yourself into trouble being honest. Um, so, uh, now, when I did, for example, go to the bank, last week it was, um, uh, as I was walking down the street, when Chinese, when, you know, like I've, I've got this little habit, when I pass people, if I think, that, if I see them cough or something or whatever, I don't want to be rude, you know, but I have this little habit of before I even come close to them, I take a deep breath and I just breathe out slowly. Sometimes I almost pass out if they're walking too slowly, but I keep breathing out until I'm well past them. Um, and the reason, my logic for that is, you know, I haven't made a big show of, you know, sort of running to the other side of the street to make sure that I'm not walking near them, but I'm breathing out the whole time. And rightly or wrongly, I, I, my guess is that makes it a bit harder for any um, virus to come in to my mouth nose if I'm actually breathing out at that moment in time so I breathe out now technically probably you know I'm racially profiling when I'm doing that because I do it I do it with people who are obviously Chinese and I don't do it for people who aren't as much at least look you know 
if I, if I had my thinking cap on, I'd do it around Essendon. It's actually not a bad habit to get into. Just breathe out when you pass people, you know, because then you never catch anything they've got. Um, now, I'm not a doctor. And, and if you're a doctor, um, you might be laughing your head off right now and say, oh, you can still catch it. Don't be an idiot, Charlie. But the point is, um, I think that it helps to avoid... Um, catching things. If you breathe out when you pass people who've got flus and coronaviruses and things like this, I think that that's true. So that's all that matters for the purpose of this episode. The science doesn't matter. The science doesn't matter for the purpose of this episode. I think you can. I think you know what I'm talking about, right? It's what, it's what I think is true, which matters. And often that's the case. You know, people often think it isn't, but it is. I'm not trying to solve. You know, I'm not trying to give tips on avoiding coronavirus here. I'm, I'm talking about my actions, you know, my motivations, you know, my racial profiling, you know. Anyway, so what I've been doing as I've been going through Box Hill is if a Chinese person is coming towards me or a couple, um, I, um, I, I take the deep breath and I breathe slowly until they've gone, breathe out. And I smile and nod and all that sort of stuff. And it's really imp- imperceptible because I'm breathing out very slowly. You know, uh, so they can't even really tell, and um, smile, and you know, and I even make a point of walking really close to them to make them feel comfortable. And say, ah, that guy, you know, he's not, you know, he doesn't think we're we've all got leprosy. Um, but the fact is, you know, I'm doing preventative, I'm taking preventative actions. Yeah, and what I've done is I've made them think that I'm your mate, you know, whereas I'm actually breathing out, in, arguably not inarguably, I am breathing out in an arguably racist way. Um, and, you know, I, I could have easily not made this episode and not even told you all that, you know, because this is my little private thing. How I breathe is a matter for me, you know. I'm, it's a very private thing, how you breathe, you know, your breathing patterns. You know, when you're swimming up and down doing laps, you know, you don't get out and make a podcast on how you're breathing. <laughs> It's your business, you know. But I just thought, I'll just be a John Lennon on this occasion and put it out there. And I wonder if I'm being racist or not. Well, according to a lot of logic I see around, absolutely I'm being racist because there is absolutely racial profiling going along and I'm altering my actions, my behaviour, you know, depending on the race of a person approaching me. That is racism, pure and simple, according to a lot of people, you know, because... Um, you know, on police, for example, they racially profile, you know, they, they look at the stats and they say, you know, and we, um, yeah, they look at the stats and they're in a certain area, you know, of Melbourne and they see, you know, for example, I'll just pick any race, um, Lebanese, for example, in a certain area and they see in the stats that it's, you know, 15 times more likely that a Lebanese kid... Um, sorry, Lebanese people. I've got some Lebanese friends. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to pick African. Look, I should be. I'll, I'll, I'll do John Lennon. It's more interesting if you just be honest. The first... Um, see, this is where you, it's hard to be a John Lennon. You've got to be really honest. Okay, the first people I thought was African, but I was sort of thinking Sudanese, you know. And um, so that was what was really in my head. But I switched it to Lebanese at the last minute. You see what we do? You see what we do? We're always trying to be a bit politically correct. And I'm not immune to that. I'm a little bit nicer than John Lennon. All right, so you're in a certain area where African crime is, you know, um, there's a lot of it, um, and there's very little crime in that area due to 
Anglos, let's say, and there might be very good reasons for that, and it might be, um, you know, it might be our social system is out of whack and causing that, you know. So I'm not, you know, I'm not anti-African in this. It might be that um, the Australian system has caused um, Africans to commit more crime than Anglos because, you know, they're being treated shabbily, you know. And, um, sorry, there's a truck. I'm not getting into the ethics and the morals and all that sort of stuff. I'm not making a social comment here. All I'm saying is you've got a dumb cop. A donut, a dumb donut-eating cop. And all he knows is um, that the last 15 crimes in a row have been by Africans, you know. And then of this type, you know, a certain type. Let's call it a snatch and grab of a phone, you know. Um, and, um, and it's always been this same mob, you know this same little group, you know, he doesn't even want to call it a gang, you know, but it's just this group of Africans, and they've stolen the last 15 phones in a row, and he's caught them, you know, him and his mates, and then another phone gets stolen, you know, and, um, and he says, right, I've got to go and make some inquiries about this, um, and he says, who am I going to make inquiries to, and he says to himself, well, I better do the right thing. I'm off to Ascot Vale um, instead of uh, Flemington. I'm going to go to Ascot Vale um, and go to that cute little coffee shop where only um, Australians are. And what I mean by that is uh, Euro-Australians. I don't have to explain myself on that front. We know what we mean by Aussies in certain contexts. Um, I'm, I'm going to go there and I'm going to ask around and um, go up and down in the coffee shop asking people if they know anything about this. You know? Of course he's not going to do that! You know, he's going to go down to that little group down by the Housing Commission flats and making inquiries around there, and they're going to say, why are you always asking us questions, you know? Well, it's because we racially profile. We do, you know. Look, it's probably a bad thing. Maybe that cop should have come up to Mooney Ponds or Essendon or something and made inquiries in coffee shops full of um, ugly, freckled, red-headed Darrells. Of course he should have done that. Why make inquiries in Flemington, you know? Uh, and yet, that's what he did the bastard, you know, and what I did, walking down to the bank in Box Hill recently, was, um, was uh, do a little bit of racial profiling and do a little bit of racist breathing, arguably, you know, now, uh, over to you. Wish I had some listeners. Yeah, because I've got a Guinness here. <laughs> I rather was sort of wanting to sit back with my Guinness and have a drink, watch everyone fight. I should go onto social media. You know, I tried social media years ago, but I should have set all that onto social media. And then I could have sat back and not made any comments at all. That's what I was doing when I was on social media. You know, because I had fun on there once upon a time years ago. Um, but, you know, the the fun got a bit repetitive so I had to stop um well actually I had a um I had an alias called Charlie Threadbow on uh Facebook way way back then and um what was his name there was a guy way back then and he reported me to Facebook yeah um guessing that Charlie Threadbow wasn't a real name how did he guess you know 
because I was saying inflammatory things, you know, which is what I've done here, but now I'm just talking to myself these days. It's less fun, you know, because I've got my Guinness here and I want to sit back and I want to watch everyone else screaming at each other and hopefully not noticing me, you know, because that's what I used to do. But Daryl, what was he? I think he might have been Daryl too. He might have been a red-headed, freckled, ugly Daryl. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, I've got a lot of freckles, by the way. <laughs> and uh, I think I was red-headed when I was born. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I guess I just spoke this one to myself, didn't I? I hope you all enjoyed that episode. Uh, and if accidentally I offended any Daryls out there, I, I do apologise. You know, in a, in, a, in a most grovelly way, and um, and especially if you're ugly, you know, I really apologise for that. You know, because that'll hit home, and you know, and you'll probably you know, look if you're a good-looking Daryl, you wouldn't have been offended, I suppose. Why not? <laughs> You're a horrible Daryl, you good-looking Daryl, you know, um, thinking that only an ugly Daryl should, you should be, you should be offended on, on behalf of the ugly Daryl, you know, uh, yeah. I, I'm very disappointed in you, Daryl. The episode is finished, but I want to add some more. I'm not adding anything different. Yeah. Uh, I just enjoy talking about all sorts of things. Of course, as always, you know. Um, now, because I got onto John Lennon, look, it ended up as much about John Lennon as anything. I intended to talk about Chinese people, and I ended up talking about John Lennon. And once I get onto Beatles, that's the end of it. Uh, but um, as I finished the episode, I remembered another honest. John Lennon quote, and it went like this, and he was talking about, this is John Lennon, he was talking about um, how he felt um, when he first heard Elvis and Little Richard, you know, and anyone who knows me knows that, I, well, actually, I'm a huge Little Richard fan more than Elvis, you know. I think Elvis is dying, you know. Um, the Beatles are getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, I think they'll last hundreds of years. Um, Elvis, oh, I don't know. You know. Young people tend to know who the Beatles are, but they don't tend to know who Elvis is, really. Um, uh, they really don't know who Little Richard is, but, yeah, Little Richard is... Um, Little Richard is... And, and it's relevant for, to what John Lennon's about to say. Uh, Little Richard is a rock star's rock star. Uh, um, so, yeah, rock stars cite him as their first influence, you know, when they were teenagers and all that sort of thing. Um, uh, interrupted again. Yeah, just get used to it. Well, I am. Um, so, um, yeah, that was my son ringing that time. Now, um, so, I forget where I was up to. Just, just drop whatever I was talking about then. Uh, but, uh, now, John Lennon... Another example of that John, that strange John Lennon-style honesty. Okay, now, John Lennon at one stage, when he was older, and yeah, he was a different John Lennon by then compared to the John Lennon he was prior, earlier, when he was younger. You know, for example, when John Lennon became a feminist, um, you know, he could remember a time when he wasn't a feminist. 
Okay, because, you know, social construction. Yeah? So he knew he was aware of this, and he was honest about it, you know. Look, you're almost... Oh, there's a lot of birds around here. Sorry, I'm at horse riding. Um, noisy bastards. <laughs> oh, coronavirus. <laughs> Don't come near me. Yeah, breathe out slowly when you're around me. Now, um... Now, um... Yeah, so this strange John Lennon honesty... Look, when you talk to um, people these days who have um, very progressive ideas, you know, and I am obviously one of those people, you know, because I'm a beautiful person, you know. I was actually born beautiful you know, uh, in all these ways. I, I've been lovely since I was born. Um, but, um, you know, that's just nature. I can't do anything about that. Uh, but not everyone is, and other people have to nurture it, you know. Uh, but anyway, John Lennon could remember a time when he wasn't a feminist. And... He didn't admit it. He just stated it, you know. People say, oh, John Lennon admits that he was a horrible, you know, non-feminist when he was younger. You know, even though he's a feminist now, you know. You know, John Lennon admits. Now, John Lennon didn't admit to things. You're using the wrong word there. John Lennon just used to state it as a matter of fact. And he used to state it matter-of-factly, you know. People often, um, when you... When you um, make a note about yourself, um, about, you know, thoughts you had when you were a different person, because we become different people. And this is the problem with social media, by the way. You know, you could have, um, you could have values when you're 20 that are nothing like the values you have when you're 50. And uh, people in, you know, because people can put things on social media now, they are held to those things, you know. I remember um, there was a, a press secretary, um, a staffer, I think it was a Liberal Party staffer, it might have been Labor, um, who, um, who uh, an, an old photo of him from 2003, I think it was, um, and I, I remember the date uh, only because I, I noted to myself, oh, that's before Facebook sort of started or just when it was getting started, you know. And um, But many years later, a photo of him emerged, you know, and um, he had painted his face blackface back in 2003. And now, you know, it was something like 2019 by, or 2018 by then, and he had to resign, you know. Um, but back in 2000, I have no idea whether he knew what blackface was back in 2003. I know I didn't, you know. Um, I found out about that amazingly recently, um, and I would have had no problem painting my face blackface, you know, when I was 25. In fact, I'd did, went to a fancy dress as Michael Jackson once, and I went as the white Michael Jackson, but I could ease, I, that's not because I was trying to steer away from the black Michael Jackson, it's just because I thought that was funnier, you know, um, and I, I, I didn't know about blackface, you know, um, you know, that it was a, a slur, for example, or a problem when I was young, you know, but um, this staffer um, had to resign, you know, and um, Look, he probably wasn't even a bad person back then. And I had one, one niece said to me, um, well, he should have checked, you know, before. You know, because I think what she was getting at is these days, you, you check. Before you do something wrong, you check that you, you know, you, you, you quickly get onto Google and you check and make sure you're not doing anything wrong. Um, 
you know, before you do it. So if you were going to nugget your face up, you know, and go as your favourite rock star, which for me would be Little Richard, you know. Um, I could easily imagine going as Little Richard when I was 25 and it would have been a perfect homage. Yeah, homage. <laughs> <laughs> the Americans say, you know, and what Eddie is, how did he say? Um, oh, we say homage in, a, in, a, in England, um, and you say homage, but we say homage because it's got a fucking H in it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, I don't swear because I'm a beautiful person. Now, um, you're a bad person, Eddie is. Now, um, so, uh, and she said, you know, you, what you do is you be sensitive that it could be a problem and you go and check if it's a problem. Uh, to which I'd say, when I was 25, where would I check? You know, ask around? Well, nobody else knows anything more about blackface than I do. You know, back when I was 25, there was no internet. What do I do? Go down the local library and look up the history of blackface. Well, uh, number one, there'd probably be nothing in there. Maybe there'd be something in some encyclopedia or something. Okay. Um, but then again, it would have to occur to me that it... It is even one of those things that you would even think to check before you would check. Why would you do a big search in a library? Um, how, do you, how do you decide which things you should check? Should you check everything? You know, um, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I just thought he got drummed out of office a little bit unfairly, maybe. Um, uh, he probably wasn't even being a bad person. Now, back to John Lennon. Uh, the, you know, that Liberal Party staffer or Labour Party staffer. I can't remember what, what he was. He was a staffer. Um, <sighs> oh, bad luck, fella. Yeah, get a job something else, you know. Welcome to the modern world. Now, um, now, uh, what was I talking about? Uh, John Lennon, yes. He in, eventually used to recall um, times when he was less sensitive. So by the 1970s, you know, he'd woken up to a whole lot of issues that he didn't know existed prior, you know, around feminism and about around racism too, you know. Um, look, John Lennon, he was a real activist, a wonderful activist, you know. Look, he, he could be annoying he took it so far, but that just makes him a great person depending on who you are. Now, and that's why he was so loved when he died. But the point is, um, he, uh, all right, I'll read a quote, um, and he's talking about how, you know, how he, how he was and how he thought when he was young. And he was like me. Um, uh, he, you know, he, he fell in love with his records. You know, I was like that when I was a teenager too. You'd fall in love with your records. Now, I wasn't that much older than John Lennon. Um, look, I was I, I, 23 years older was John Lennon than me, but it doesn't matter. It was the same sort of deal. And for a lot of teenagers, for example, back in the old days... Um, it turns out that Little Richard was uh, the person that got them all fired up about rock and roll. People wanted to start it. You know, when they got started in rock and roll, Little Richard was the person that they were thinking about that they wanted to be like, you know, even more so than Elvis, and you can Google that. But, you know, the boys from ACDC, um, the Beatles, uh, the boys from the Beatles, uh, David Bowie, you know, started out wanting to be Little Richard, Bob Dylan, um... Uh, was it Freddie Mercury? Um, you could go on and on and on. Um, uh, uh, what's his name from Metallica? Yeah, I've, I looked them all up once, and an, an astonishing number of people cited Little Richard as the as the rock star that they were uh, totally amazed by when they were teenagers. 
and, uh, and very much so myself as well when I was young. You know, my second record was a Little Richard record, but my first one was a Buddy Holly record um, that I actually went and bought with my own money. But having said all that, um, I know that feeling when you open the records um, and you smell them and, you know, they're beautiful, you know. And uh, because they were a precious thing back then. Right now, you just download a song or something. You just listen to it on Spotify. But back then, you had to wait six weeks before you could actually possess your the song you were waiting for. You know, I used to wait in Lansfield you know, for a record to come out from KTEL. You know, um, yeah, it'd be Little Richard's greatest hits. You wouldn't even get the you know on Spotify now. I can get audio of um, Little Richard counting himself in for these songs, you know, but back then you just got a KTEL best of and that was as much as you were ever going to get. Now I can get a video of him actually singing the song and commenting on it um, prior to, you know, he said, all right, we're going to... Uh, I was off and running again then and I was interrupted by another phone call from my son again. Um, anyway, um, look, yeah. They're a good opportunity to just stop what you're talking about um, when those interruptions happen, so I like them. Okay, let's, let's have this um, John Lennon quote, uh, you know, and he was in a curious way, you know, in a um, detached way, um, um, commenting on a different person he knew, and that was his younger self. Okay, this is an older John Lennon talking about a younger John Lennon, and... In the article I'm reading this from, people are saying, "Is this racist? You know, well, you know, should, have, should we have a problem with John Lennon?" You know, to which I said, "Don't be an idiot. This is John Lennon as an older man, you know, in his thirties, um, talking about a sixteen-year-old John Lennon. Don't be an idiot, you know." Um, so if he, whatever he says here, he's talking about a different person. He's not talking about himself. So don't smash him. You know, smash his younger self. And if you want to smash his 15-year-old smash uh, self, smash all the people around him for teaching him this stuff, you know. But don't, don't tag him as a racist, you know, because, well, for the reasons I'm about to say. Quoting John Lennon, Before Elvis, there was nothing, you know, said um, John Lennon. Uh, okay, hang on, what's this? Is this the right quote? Oh, this is only a half quote. Just give me a second. I'll waste your time a little bit. Uh, Wikipedia. I'm in the wrong spot. I'm, I'll find it. I'll waste your time. Quotes. I've gone into the Little Richard website. Quotes about Little Richard. Um, okay, we've got a lot here. Uh, a lot of big names. Etta James. Um... George Harrison, Al Green, John Fogarty, Bob Seger, Michael Jackson, Rod Stewart, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, oh, here it is. Okay, this is John Lennon's quote, and obviously being John Lennon is the longest. You know, you've got Jimi Hendrix above. John Lennon was, uh, sorry, um, Little Richard. Uh, Jimi Hendrix was in Little Richard's band, actually, before he, before he turned into a megastar himself. But anyway, on to John Lennon. And, uh, oh... Uh, yeah, Jimi Hendrix. I want to do with my guitar what Little Richard does with his voice, you know. Okay. And Keith Richards there, you know. Um, the most exciting moment of my life was appearing on the same stage as Little Richard. Look, Little Richard's a rock star's rock star. Fans don't know him these days, but the rock stars know him, you know. Okay, here's John Lennon. Elvis was bigger than religion in my life. 
Then this boy at school said he'd got this record by somebody called Little Richard, who was better than Elvis. We used to go to this boy's house after school and listen to Elvis on 78s. We'd buy five ziggies, loose, and some chips to go along. The new record was Little Richard's Long Tall Sally. When I heard it, it was so great, I couldn't speak. You know how you are torn? I didn't want to leave Elvis, but this was so much better. We all looked at each other. I didn't want to say anything against Elvis, even in my mind. How could they both be happening in my life? And then someone said, it's a nigger singing. I didn't know Negroes sang. So, Elvis was white and little Richard was black. This was a great relief. Thank you, God, I said. There is a difference between them. Uh, but I thought about it for days at school of the labels on the records of Elvis and Little Richard. One was yellow and the other was blue. And I thought of the yellow against the blue. All right, so that's just Little Richard, you know. Uh, sorry, that's just John Lennon talking about um, how good it was, you know, because, uh, you know, I have this personal opinion that Little Richard should have been the uh, king of rock and roll. And if America wasn't so racist... Um, little Richard would have been the king of rock and roll at the time uh, because he was huge, Little Richard. You almost forget he, he just completely disappeared off the planet in 1957. Um, I've spoken about that before. He was in Essendon, you know, and he took off from an aer airport uh, that my dad was working in at the time, Essendon Airport, which is in my suburb, and, um, and freaked out. Uh, for certain reasons, you know, he thought the plane was going to crash and um, and then quit rock and roll, you know, uh, right in my suburb, basically, um, and turned his life, you know, and gave his life to Jesus, all that sort of stuff. You have to know little Richard. Um, and then he just quit rock and roll at the height of his powers, you know. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, little Richard should have been the king of rock and roll at that moment. Uh, uh, but Elvis was... And the reason for that is, I think, that, uh, you know, um, America was, you know, that kind of racism that you couldn't have a king who was black. You had, it had to be a white, you know, before, everyone kind of knew Little Richard was great. Um, yeah, and uh, Little Richard himself said, well, Elvis is the, um, they, the kids would put Elvis records um, on their bedside tables where their parents could see those, but we'd put Little Richard records um, in the bottom drawer, hidden away, uh, but we listened to the Little Richard records, you know, and that, that was the racism that was America. Um, but anyway, look, it's interesting, I think, that um, quote by John Lennon, you know, because um, he is um, being honest, and uh, I probably don't want to say too much more about it. I could analyse that um, quote by John Lennon, you know, and I could get into feminism again and all that sort of stuff and go around in circles on all that sort of stuff. But I, look, I think these, it's just about, you know, is it interesting when people uh, just say, listen, this is what I used to think, this is what I think now. Um, there would be reasons I was thinking that stuff when I was younger. There are reasons I'm thinking what I'm thinking now. 20 years from now, I might be thinking even newer and fresher things. And that could be, you know, due to, um, you know, greater life experience and all that sort of stuff. Is it wrong to just state what you're thinking along the way? Well, in the modern age of social media, it probably is. You know, because if you state what you're thinking at any point in time, let's say, and this is why I'm glad there was no social media when I was young. 
Uh, because, you know, I might have had an opinion back then and people might have put a circle around that and I might, you know, and I might lose my job today based on something I said when I was 21. Well, not in my case because I was just such a progressive. I was lovely, I was beautiful, I was everything. Um, yeah, you know, uh, but we're talking about other people, not me, aren't we? All right, so that's that. Um, so this, you know, I could almost have called this um, episode a question of honesty um, and fleshed out a whole different line of thinking. My brother, he says, you know what, in the end, it's, you know, it's best just get it out there, um, be honest, um, get the truth out there, get the facts out there, you know, as best you can, and everyone sit around and just deal with that. He said, in the long, he says, in the long run, it's better to do that, you know. Like, you can imagine, I don't know who, you know, Paul McCartney or Meryl Streep, I usually go to those two guys, and they kind of give the impression that they've been angels and saints all their lives, you know. A lot of people, you know, they, they take on, you know, at age 50 or 40 or even 20 or 30, um, a, um, a, prog- a progressive type of activist type of stance, and they kind of give the impression that they've always had that stance. You know, they say, this is the real me speaking here and this is the real me, what the real me thinks. And you sort of think, no, there's no one real you. You know, you're a work in progress at all times. And, um, you know, um, sometimes, you know, if you you were put in a a house of mirrors and you were told to look in the house of mirrors, um, uh, look at all those mirrors and have a good hard look at yourself. You know, really, what's going on, you know? What's really on your mind? All that sort of stuff, you know. Um, and what has been on your mind all your life? Look, all of that stuff. And I suppose, you know, I probably shouldn't have done this episode as a whole. You know? Um, why did I even feel the need? Well, I actually didn't. You know? you know, this is about my coming up to my 150th episode. And I make these episodes on a whim, you know. This one happened to be about racism, actually. And, you know, I can, I can almost hear people say, Oh, you know you white people you just can't wait to look can't wait to talk about racism can you uh, well you know hasn't occurred to me for the last hundred episodes i've been talking about quantum chemistry and all sorts of other things you know so yeah um yeah and they say you should talk less and let us talk more you know um indigenous australians say that you are dominating the conversation I'll say, well, I'm not stopping you talking. I just, I'm just talkative myself. I'm not going to. If I want to talk about something, I'll talk about it. You know, I'm not. Uh, yeah, people overthink these things. You know. Um, okay. Yeah. Yes, but it's part of your culture. You t- to talk so much. Yeah. All right then. You admitted it. It's part of my culture, so I'm going to keep doing it. Now. Um, now. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, look, I, I could have not done this episode, you know, because what I did, I was too honest. You know, I um. I have now. See, you wouldn't use the word "admitted," would you? I have stated that it just, you know, as a matter of curiosity, and um, you know, I looked at myself in the in the room of mirrors, and I said to myself, "Look at you, Charlie. You're walking down the street, and you're breathing out when you're passing Chinese people, and you're not breathing out, um, you know, um, when non-Asian people, are, non well, non-Asian people are coming towards you." I. You're not making such a point of breathing out um, as you pass them. You know, you're thinking coronavirus, aren't you? You're thinking these Asians might have coronavirus, whereas these Aussies, you know, you know what I mean by Aussies. I'm not going to get into that every time. Um, 
Aussie, the word Aussie has different meanings in different contexts, you know. It really does, you know. Uh, whether, you, whether you like it or not. Uh, you know, for example, my Greek mother-in-law refers to me as an Aussie. You know, you Aussies can't cook sort of thing. Well, guess what? She's been in Australia longer than me. She's calling me an Aussie. Are you going to tell her not to? You know, to call me, you know, hey, Greek mother What did I say? Grandmother? Mother-in-law. Greek mother-in-law, stop calling him an Aussie. She'll tell you to get stuffed. She's not going to call him an Aussie. Yes, but you've been an Aussie longer than him. She said, I don't care. I know what I mean. I mean... The sorts of Aussies that we met when we first came here to Australia in 1953, even though he was born in 1963, yes, I've been an Australian longer than him, but I'm calling him an Aussie and you can't stop me, you know. Uh, you don't know my mother-in-law. Um, if you did, you go and argue that out with her, you know what I mean? But anyway, um, so I, look, I note with interest that when I walk through Box Hill at the moment... Yeah, because we're right in the middle of the coronavirus scare. Uh, when I pass an Asian person, um, I breathe out slowly. Yeah, I didn't have to. Now, I'm not admitting that. I'm noting it. Yeah. Um, I didn't have to tell you that that was the case, but I have. You know. And what do you make of that? You know. Now, the funny thing is, in my office, there's a Chinese, a young Chinese lady, um, and she's fantastic. I don't do it with her. <laughs> I'm with her all day. Figure that one out. I'm not trying to, you know, come across as logical or making sense here. I'm telling you the way it is, uh, just for my own amusement. Uh, things are popping into my head. I'm saying them. This is a stream of consciousness, and that'll do for the episode.
was a long episode and I gave myself some ground cover at the start of the episode by playing a few songs um, you know, almost in their entirety um, that, in such a, that would drive most people away and, and stop them listening to the episode you know, way back then you know. and that gave me some ground cover just to relax and say whatever I wanted to say because you know, I had more certainty than even normal that I've got no one listening um, and it, it gives me a chance to come out of the closet, as it were, uh, here, you know, because I, I'm saying something in the public domain here, but really, realistically, there's no one who would be listening. Um, you know, it's buried so deep that no one would be listening. So it's out there, and yet it's not at the same time. So I get to come out of the closet. It's a little bit like the way they, um, you know, in that um, movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, they they didn't destroy the Ark of the Covenant. Um, they they hid it in plain view. They 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 uh, filed it in a huge basement warehouse, all that was um, that was administered by the U.S. military or something, you know, and. And they just filed it in, you know, um, section 647-D-63-J, you know what I mean? And when the camera panned back, you could see that this warehouse was so huge that no one was ever going to find it again anyway, realistically, and yet it was sitting right there. And another thing that reminds me of this is, um, uh, did you see that episode of um, The Vicar of Dibley? You know, and in that you have the most boring man in the world, you know, because they don't know about me, you know, um, Frank, you know, and um, 
they had to do some sort of radio uh, program uh, to raise money or something, and they were all taking turns playing DJ. And then it was Frank's turn to play DJ. And he had an hour slot or something. And right in the middle of that slot, he said, um, I'm feeling like this is the moment when I can come out as gay, you know what I mean? Um, but being boring, um, everybody switched off. Yeah, as soon as he started speaking and nobody in England was listening to him and yet he was telling the whole of England. It's just that no one in England was listening. Yeah, the two things were happening at the same time. And he said, I, uh, I've thought long and deep, you know, about this, blah, 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 you know. My first homosexual uh, experience was when I was a young boy and I fell in love with a farmhand named Robert or something, you know. I can't remember the detail. And, you know, in summary, um, I've always been gay and I find that I, uh, I am speaking to you and yet, you know, I'm behind a microphone and that gives me the courage to say this to you and all that sort of stuff, you know. And the next day, he walked into a, um, a um, meeting, a council meeting, and he's the, um, he's the minute taker, you know, in that. And he was nervous as he came in because he knew that he had come out of the closet last night on the radio station. And, um, and he said, good morning, and... Um, and everyone knew that they, everyone had not listened to his show, you know, but they're going to cover that up, of course, because they're not rude, they're good people. And he said, good morning, everybody. And they said, oh, hello, Frank, great show last night. Yep, loved it, you know, boom, boom, boom. And then he, he was reduced to tears and he said, I think you, all, you are the most wonderful people I've, I've ever had the privilege to be associated with and all this sort of thing. And he was wrapped because they had accepted him for who he, who he was. Um, and I think the vicar had listened, had heard him say that. Yeah, she had listened, you know, and she knew, but she's cool, you know what I mean? Anyway, the rest of them, you know, as far as he was concerned, had accepted him as gay. <laughs> well, the fact of the matter is they hadn't listened, you know. Now, um, and the next council meeting, he came in dressed in, I don't know what it was, a big canary yellow suit with a purple polka dot tie or something. And, um, and, um... <laughs> Uh, what's his name? David Horton. David uh, looked around and saw him dressed like a galah and um, took one look at him and went, quiet. <laughs> and went back to, I don't even know where to start with that, is roughly what he was thinking. <laughs> anyway, um, look, the point is deep down here at the bottom of an episode that no one would want to listen to, you can come out, you know. And, um, and I feel that uh, in this um, environment, I can do that too. And, um, and yes, um, I don't know if you listened to the whole episode, but I was pretty hard on a person called Daryl, you know, a fictitious person called Daryl, with red hair and freckles, you know. And that was anti-red-haredness. You know, and all that sort of, an anti-freckleness, you know. Um, look, I happen to love red hair and freckles, you know. I'm an Irishman, you say, you have to, you know. Uh, it's in my culture. But the point is, it's more than that. You know, in the act of um, sort of smashing Daryl 
um, you know, what I was actually hiding was the fact that I am Daryl. You know, that's my real name. And I have red hair and freckles, you know. And I don't think there's anything wrong. And I think there's nothing wrong with red hair and freckles. But the point is, you know, you almost have to come out of the closet um, to, uh, you know, to be comfortable with that. And right now, just like Frank in The Vicar of Dibley, uh, I, um, I know that I'm speaking to everyone and yet I'm speaking to no one because it's the most, this is the most boring episode there ever was and I would like to come out of the closet as a Daryl who has red hair and freckles and um, who runs a very, very boring podcast. <laughs> oh, I, don't even have to, I don't even have to say, did you enjoy that episode because you're not even here, are you? you know, I'm just speaking to myself and, uh, and, and this is the Zen that I've been looking for. I think I'm really getting there. I'm getting really zen, you know. I'm a zen Daryl.